Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone, back on this Thursday night to our annual BAMS radio podcast. I'm your host, Judy Arman. Uh, my co-host, Thomas Watson, producer extraordinaire, is also with us. Sorry I haven't been with you the last couple of weeks. been uh, covering uh, certain uh, uh, announcements and uh, also football games on the high school football playoff circuit. Uh, you know, got a chance to see the James Clemens Jets. Uh, their journey is now over uh, as they went to Hoover, uh, last Friday night and lost 14 to seven. Now I was not uh, in attendance for that game. I was covering Alabama basketball uh, in their first home game of the year. They were a regular season opener against Coastal Carolina. But uh, the Thursday before, I did see them uh, in the first round of the of the playoffs and uh, in, 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 in I should say I, I did see them in their regular season against the Austin Black Bears on a Thursday night. And then I did see them in the first round of the playoffs uh, as they beat uh, the uh, Spain Park Jaguars at home. So I've been seeing a lot of high school football, watching LeBron Ray, who I think is going to be a future uh, University of Alabama signee. Also, Tyreek McDonald, who is already committed. Uh, and then, and, and of course, uh, one of my personal favorites, Monty Rice. Uh, I don't know that he's going to be signed by the University of Alabama. I wish you'd be in this class, but uh, right now the tide is after, I think, people they have above him on the board. He's a very, very solid football player. I think he's an SEC player, but it was uh, just an awesome journey watching the Jets this year. Didn't have a, a good enough quarterback and enough offense to win a state championship, but still one of the better uh, high school front sevens and defenses that you're ever going to see starting 11. And, man, they were tough. They were good all year, uh, and it's tough to, that their season is over now, but still uh, finished with a, an 8-3 and a three record, you know, very solid year, or excuse me, 8-4 and four record, uh, very solid year. Uh, for the James Clemens Jets. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, Coach Waldrop has built a very solid program over there. I think LeBron Ray, by the time he's a sophomore, is going to be hill on wheels at Alabama. I think Kyrie McDonald is extremely underrated. They've got some very good coaching over there. Uh, And it was a pleasure watching them. And it was a pleasure watching some Alabama basketball uh, against Coastal Carolina. And another announcement last week, the reason I missed the show, John Petty uh, committing to the University of Alabama. We'll talk about that later in the show. But a top two recruiting class right now and I, I told the listeners that I felt like on this show uh, that Avery Johnson was going to sign a top 10 or even top five group he has signed now a top five recruiting class perhaps even number one there's even hints that he might sign a sixth player uh, in the late period but uh, what a job the number two class in America as you've seen me on Twitter at Drew D 977 ESPN I've been tweeting that it was they're going to be the Crimson Tides Fab Five and I believe that uh, with Galen Smith at center, the power forward Alex Reese, uh, the small forward Herb Jones, who the coaches think could be the best player in the group. And that's stunning when you think about a five-star wing and two guard like John Petty, six foot five, so athletic. Uh, you know, just to, I've seen him play twice now, watched him score 35 in this season opener against Huntsville and they have 19 points and 14 rebounds in a great win over a great, uh, an outstanding Sacred Heart team at the Von Braun Center uh, this past uh, Monday night, uh, so they're 2-0 and right now, John Petty uh, and the uh, Jemison Jaguars, but John, 
outstanding talent. What a uh, performance so far by him. And uh, and then Colin Sexton, he had 45 in his season opener. Uh, the combo guard extraordinaire. Uh, you know, you got John Petty being heavily sought after by Kentucky, choosing the Tide. Colin Sexton, Kansas, but chooses the Tide. So what a job by Avery Johnson and group. And I'm sure we're also going to talk football. But Thomas Watts, I'm going to bring him on in right now. And Thomas, I just I had to you know talk a little basketball to start off the show because I mean I know Kevin Hagan, our great listener uh, from Lexington, Kentucky, called in and kind of filled the listeners in. But it's just really a I hope the Alabama fans understand the magnitude of what Avery Johnson just uh, accomplished. Yeah, he was he was nice enough to call in and fill in. I have to say that he caught me a little unawares because I knew you know I've I've been watching basketball from 50,000 feet while I've been hip deep, you know, doing breakdowns and stuff on the football team. So it, it was great to hear from him. And it, I actually was able to catch most of the Dayton game earlier this week. And Dayton's a good basketball team and Alabama gave them everything they wanted and more. So, you know, things are certainly looking up with Avery Johnson. And before we talk about that a little bit more, I have to say, Drew, you mentioned high school football, my alma mater, McGill Tulin playing central Phoenix city. Should be a whale of a football game this uh, actually tomorrow Friday. So uh, there's well, some excitement were, down here. If, if I lived where you lived, I would be there. I mean, there's no <laughs> doubt about it. Uh, in South Alabama, I would be uh, watching. I would be at McGill too and watching that game because there's a lot of talent on the field. Uh, Justin Ross, 2018 receiver that Allian wants very badly, and of course they already have committed Markel Benton, the linebacker from Central of Phoenix City. A lot of young talent on that squad, led by Jamie Dubose, formerly a state championship winner twice at Prattville, also been uh, at at uh, Florence and uh, a few months at Charles Henderson of Troy. But a lot of talent at Central of Phoenix City, uh, and then McGill Tillett. What can you say? The defending 7A champions. Uh, they've been they've had they've been on a tremendous run the last couple of years under Coach Caleb Ross, and they're looking to repeat. And they escaped Enterprise last week, and now. Uh, many people believe that Central of Phoenix City is the most talented team in 7A, uh, but some thought that last year and they didn't get the job done. So should be a fascinating matchup, two great teams. And then the other semifinal is, of course, the uh, perennial power Hoover Bucks against the Cinderella. They're only 7-5, and five, Thomas, but uh, the Gadsden City Titans, uh, who have been on fire uh, the last uh, half of the season. Yeah, it, it's going to be a heck of a it's going to be a heck of a high school football weekend. You know, unfortunately, as good as the high school football weekend looks for this state, the uh, the college football weekend. <laughs> um, yeah, let's go with um, yeah, because it's kind of like how how I how I named this program tonight. Cupcakes get your Crimson Tide cupcakes on Bam's radio. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> can't really. I don't know what else to say but that. You know, at least Alabama fans will get to see pretty much everybody that they'd be <laughs> interested in over the next couple of years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'll see you'll see some kids like you'll get to see even more of Raquan Davis, and we saw him get a big sack last week, Thomas, near the end of the game. But I mean, I guess the one thing that Alabama fans also saw last week is they saw Alabama dispatch Mississippi State. A lot like I think they're going to dispatch Chattanooga on Saturday. Eh, sorry, I had muted myself. Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty similar, and it's going to be one of those games where Jalen Hurts will improv a few runs, but his his marching orders for the first you know, two, two-and-a-half quarters will be something on the order of 
uh, stay in the pocket, try and read the defense, make the right throw. And that's okay. That That's really, you know, it's been said a few times and it should be continued to be said that the last piece of the puzzle is the continued development of the downfield passing game for this Alabama football team. So I have no problem with that game plan. And then just letting the defense continue to be the defense. And this is an, this is a depth developer. You know, we saw towards the end of Mississippi state, we had a Mac Wilson sighting on defense, not just on, uh, not just on special teams. You know, he, he played some actual linebacker against Mississippi state. So guys like that keep building the depth and keep going. And again, really, if you're, if you have stubbed your pinky toe over the past couple of weeks, just, just chill. It's okay. It's not necessary to beat Chattanooga. And as much as I've said on your program, Drew, and I'll continue to say this until I see an injury report that lists Sean White and Cam Petway as back for the Iron Bowl, as much as that game has been devalued by the the uh, Auburn's inability to close out a bad Georgia football team, and, Al- and I still believe Alabama's four to five touchdowns better. You know, that is still a rivalry game, and Alabama's still going to have to bring a solid performance because you know Auburn's going to be in just absolutely embracing the spoiler role coming through the next few, the next week and a half with those guys. Yeah, they really will. They're, they're going to be uh, trying to bring it, no doubt about it. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and your thoughts on, we we're speaking of Auburn, just as we came on the air, Gus Malzahn announced – and he's claiming it's because of Senior Day. I think that, that may be part of it, but I also think the other part is because John Franklin couldn't hit the broad side of a barn and they were losing and his only start at halftime to Vanderbilt. Again, granted, I know they're playing an FCS team in Alabama A&M, but Jeremy Johnson, who's been third string all season, will start uh, for the Auburn Tigers, as Gus Malzahn also admitted, Thomas Watts, that Sean White is not taking a snap this week. Well... If 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 your quarterback situation has devolved to where Jeremy Johnson is your best your best option, given what we've seen from Jeremy Johnson, you know, last year, his utter inability to read a defense and really lead his football team and completely wilt under the spotlight. Because remember, we're talking about a guy that last preseason was oh potential Heisman, da 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 da. That that's a major indictment of the Auburn quarterback situation. And, you know, I think the the oscillation between what version of Gus Malzahn we're talking about has been very striking. Because, Drew, if you remember before that Georgia loss and really before the loss of Cameron Petway, the Gus bus, Gus being an offensive guru and genius and developer of quarterbacks and developer of explosive offenses that train was once again going down the tracks and now it's going completely the other way, you know, with Sean white who had a very solid season and, you know, he deserves credit for what he's able to do, but there's just nothing behind him. And, you know, it's, it's very striking to me how different that is. And what's more, you know, going, you know, going a little bit further, I think even if Jay, you know, you try and compare it to somebody like Alabama, Losing Jalen Hurts' injury would be devastating, but the Alabama quarterback position would not fall off a cliff like Auburn if we want to do a parallel. That's what I think, at least. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it. Uh, it's just uh, it, I've never seen a squad so banged up, and I mean, I've 
made the comparisons to this Auburn team to 2002. And, of course, that team shocked Alabama because Dennis Fraudfoni, I mean Franchoni, uh, decided that he was going to go to Texas A&M and was already really had that in the works. And Alabama, which would have won the West that year, but they were ineligible due to probation, uh, and had a very good football team, tanked that game. And it really saved Tommy Turville's job and, and set him up for several more years until Nick Saman came in and ran him out of town on a rail. Uh, with a 36 to nothing beatdown in his second season, uh, but uh, but overall, honestly, uh, I just really think right now this Auburn team uh, they've I think in a lot of ways they have overachieved this year because they've always had limited talent at quarterback, and that's due to the fault of the inability to recruit of Gus Malzahn and Rhett Lashley and evaluate. Uh, they stumbled upon Antoine or Antoine. Uh, I've got, he's done such a great job in basketball recruiting. I've got that on the brain. But a Cameron Petway, uh, Bubba Petway, who uh, really was uh, by blocking back and an H back at Auburn and wasn't allowed to run the football. Uh, and uh, w- once uh, we, we you had Jovan Robinson leave the program, uh, and you had then uh, uh, and he's doing a heck of a job in the NFL. Uh, uh, but you had uh, the the other the other tailback leave early uh, and, uh, and go on and be a – he was only a seventh-round pick, uh, but he left early and uh, has, has had a very uh, nice uh, uh, rookie year uh, with the Tampa Bay Bucks. He even started some games due to injury and uh, really and, – and I think everyone's happy for him. And then they also had, uh, you know, Rock Thomas leave for Jacksonville State. So they didn't really have the bodies. And everyone – there was doubts about on Johnson, who's had a very solid year, but Petway – was someone that just sort of came out of nowhere to become a force at running back. So Auburn's had a little bit of luck with it, uh, but Bubba Petway has to turn into a great back. And Thomas, uh, forgive me, I know you can help me with this. Uh, the young man that Auburn that declared early for the draft and is now with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, pardon me. I, uh, it's, Peyton it's, Barber? Yes, Pey- Peyton Barber uh, has uh, done a heck of a job. Uh, and uh, had over 1,000 yards for Auburn last year. Really, every year Gus Malzahn has had a 1,000-yard rusher. Peyton Barber was kind of the forgotten guy by the end of last season, but he had been the heartbeat of their offense. He, got, he uh, has to leave school because of his mother uh, being in a financial straits, but he's made the bucks, done a heck of a job, uh, and uh, now uh, Bubba Petway has kind of taken on that role of someone that's come out of nowhere to be a great back. But from what I'm hearing, his injury is very severe. I think it's uh, it may even be a partial tear of his groin. I don't think he'll play against Alabama. Uh, I think they'll try to get him ready, but I just don't think he's going to be able to go. I think it's going to be on Johnson and Stanton Truett once he gets healthy. But I don't see them having a lot of success against Alabama. But right now for Auburn, uh, they just got to pray they can get through the Alabama A&M game with no more injuries. They, who's been extremely overrated so far, Byron Cowart, he's now even out for the year with an appendectomy. So they just continue to lose guys, mostly on the offensive side. But uh, it's right now, it wasn't a good matchup when they were healthy for Auburn against Alabama, in my opinion. Now it's just uh, absolutely a mismatch. But right now the Tide needs to take care of business against Chattanooga uh, and kind of in, in, uh, and stay healthy going in uh, to this season. But now uh, we want to welcome – uh, to the Sunbelt Tennis Hotline, our our compatriot for this hour, uh, William Redfish Barger. William, welcome back to BAMS Radio. Uh, we've been talking and kind of reviewing uh, Mississippi State a little bit and then looking ahead to the rest of the regular season and to Chattanooga Saturday. But uh, this team right now, I'm getting a special feeling about their mental approach. I know you, you and I talked about this earlier this week, but uh, this team, right, the leadership is right where I think it needs to be. Yeah, it is driven. I think uh, 
you know, you know, a perfect recipe for a, for a championship caliber football team is when you get great leadership from the coaching staff combined with uh, great senior leadership. And uh, it's obvious that this team has that, you know, with the Jonathan Allens and the Reuben Fosters, um, you know, on that side of the ball. And, and you know, on the offensive side, um, you know, it's kind of interesting, the, the, the leadership over there, uh, you know, whether it's vocal or by example, uh, you know, seems to be coming from, you know, much younger guys, you know, a lot of it being true freshmen. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I think that's kind of an interesting, you know, mix for a championship caliber football team, which they've certainly proved that they are. But when you look at, you know, the guys that are over on the offensive side of the ball that are performing at a high level, Jalen Hurts, Jonah Williams, Josh Jacobs, um, you know, that, that's that's just unheard of. And, uh, you know, I, I heard what you and Thomas were talking about when you had me on hold as far as Auburn's concerned, um, and I'll chime in on that as well. Um, it's not a growing injury to uh, – I don't know who in the hell Bubba Petway is, but I'm assuming y'all are talking about Cameron Petway. Yeah, uh, that's he, what they he's call got him, a, yeah. He's got a partial tear um, of a quadricep muscle. And mm-hmm. he's done for I'm the here. regular. He's done for the regular season. He won't play against Alabama. Um, you know, based on how the, that injury goes, you know, there's varying degrees of of tears with that muscle. Um, they'll be lucky to have him back for the bowl game. Um, right. Depending on who you talk to, uh, you know, there's there's scuttlebutt that you know Sean White might have you know, a torn labrum um, or maybe even a torn rotator cuff muscle. So they're in trouble at the quarterback position. Um, you know, they've lost their, their H-back, Chandler Cox. You know, Carry on yeah. Johnson has a gimpy ankle. Um, you know, just to put it into perspective, Truitt. well, no, Truett's yeah. not going to play against Alabama either. Um, no, you don't think he will? You think his ankle's that No, no, I think he's done for the regular season. Um, it's so mm. bad down there right now. And you, you kind of, if I'm an Auburn fan, you know, you kind of have to ask yourself, you know, if, if, you know, your head coach is an offensive guru, like Gus Malzahn's been propped up to be, how do you get into this type of situation um, where there's no more quarterbacks? And this week they've been repping their starting strong safety, Rudy Ford, who was a pretty salty high school running back um, yep. up in North Alabama. But, you know, him and, and, and that true freshman, uh, I think he transferred from Baylor, uh, Cam yeah, Martin. Cam Martin. That, that's, that's who they're left with at running back. If, if on Johnson isn't 100% for Alabama. Yeah, and then they've even talked about maybe playing Malik Miller, but I don't think he's going to be ready. So uh, you're right; it's it's they're going to be playing a bunch of walk-ons this weekend, and Cam Martin. Uh, I don't think Carryon will get much work. Um, and as you said, you don't think you think Truett's going to be out for the regular season as well. Uh, just uh, they they it's a mash unit for them. And then uh, I know you heard us talking about this, William, and I know uh, Malzahn is, is framing it around being Senior Day. But I got a funny feeling Jeremy Johnson's starting because they don't think that JF, John Franklin III can throw the ball well enough to give them even a semblance of a chance against Alabama. Well, I mean, I think that's got to be a really difficult decision for, you know, Gus Malzahn and Rhett Lashley. Um, you know, when you look at, 
two both of those guys are, and I'm talking about John Franklin and Jeremy Johnson, um, mm-hmm. you know, both of them, you know, in, in limited SEC experience are, are turnover machines at that level. Um, obviously, you know, Jeremy Johnson's supposed to be the, you know, the passer. You know, John Franklin is the runner. Um, that, that's got to be a difficult decision to decide which one of those two guys. If Sean White is not able to go, and if he is able to go, it's going to be in a diminished capacity. Um, you know, which one of those guys do you go with? Um, you know, uh, I, I would personally hate to be the coach that has to make the decision to, you know, if you start Jeremy Johnson versus Alabama and A&M and, and this weekend and Sean White's not available to go against Alabama, you know, do you start Jeremy Johnson versus Alabama or is, is John Franklin's first start in the SEC um, against, you know, what is arguably the best defense in college football right now? Um, that's not a good place to be. It is, and and, 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 I'll, say, I'll say this, Drew, um, you know, this isn't right now as it stands, you know, going into this game against Alabama A&M, you know, this isn't as bad of a situation as Tennessee was when Alabama went up there last month and played them in Knoxville. But if they come out of this game with one or two more injuries on either side of the ball, it's it's rapidly approaching just how bad that Tennessee situation was when Alabama went up there. It really is. And uh, I think uh, it's, it, I just, it, it's, it's, it's really hard to believe. I mean, I, 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 I've, I've just been shaking my head because I knew, of course, Sean White wasn't 100%, but I didn't realize Truett was hurt as bad as he was, Chandler Cox. I mean, you go down the list and you hear about Byron Cowart. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. Uh, and then Marcus Davis, I didn't know he had messed his shoulder up. He's out for the year. He can't even return punts now and play wide receiver. I mean, they've got so many guys out. I mean, they're still going to have most of their defense against Alabama. But, William, I'm going to be honest. I watched that Georgia game uh, from start to finish because I wanted to watch the Auburn defense for an entire game. And they have a good front. I wouldn't call them great. I think they have a good front with nice depth. Uh, but their back seven – it is a they, it is nowhere near what I saw out of LSU. Well, I think what happened, um, you know, Drew, if you look at it, when when you know, so I've got a lot of friends that are former Auburn players. You know, some of my close right. friends are, you know, went to Auburn and, and graduated from there. And, and what I saw happening was, you know, when when Cameron Petway went on his tear during the month of October. Uh, you know, go back and look at who he went on that tear against. None of the defenses of those teams that they played in October are ranked in the top 70 in the country in scoring True. defense. I mean, they were going up against bad defenses. And, you know, I was mm-hmm. trying to tell my best friend from high school, um, who's, who's a huge Auburn guy, I said, listen, do you really think that you can line up this converted H-back slash, you know, got fullback speed talking about Petway? And you're going to run blunt 34 and blunt 35 all night long against Jeremy Pruitt and Nick Saban? That's not going to happen. No. And and so, you know, I think really the, the game where the whole thing got exposed was against Vanderbilt two weeks ago. You know, they have a, a decent defense. I think they were, 
going into that game, I think they were like 34th or 35th in the country in scoring defense. Um, and if they had some wide receivers that could catch, uh, they might have clipped Auburn before they ever went to Georgia. But True. I agree with you. I think they've got great depth and a lot of talent on their defensive line. But outside of Carlton Davis, I totally agree with you. The back end of that defense is very suspect. And I was telling a buddy of mine that's a uh, – he's a huge Georgia fan, obviously. He's a big Kirby Smart guy. And I said, you know, going into that game last week, I said, if I was Kirby, I would have Jacob Eason out there with, you know, the, the decent wide receivers that he has at his disposal, and there's not many, you know, working on completing 15- to 20-yard passes over the middle because they're there for the taking all night long against mm-hmm. Georgia. And uh, th- that's where, you know, I, you know, you know, Kevin Steele, I think, has, you know, done a good job of resurrecting his career as a defensive coordinator. you got to kind of give him credit for, you know, what he's produced with that, that, that defensive line this year. But, you know, when you start looking at it, I mean, Vanderbilt rushed for 100 yards on those guys. Um, right. You know, Georgia and Nick Chubb with a very bad Georgia offensive line had some success on the ground against them. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that is a byproduct of, of the Gus Malzahn offense. Um, you know, because he does like to go up tempo and, and hurry up no huddle, you you can have a good defense, but man, if that offense ain't clicking on all cylinders, and you start getting three and out, three and out, three and out, um, I don't think they picked up a first down in the whole second half. If memory serves me right, against Georgia, um, your defense is going to run out of gas. I don't care how deep you are. Yeah, it really will, and uh, I think, and I and remember, I know they won the game and they got him on a hot streak. But Leonard Fournette had a hundred yards when he wasn't healthy too. Well, and that that was kind of the the response that I made to, uh, you know, my Auburn friends. I said, listen, if Leonard Fournette and that LSU offensive line, uh, you know, can't rush for 100 yards against this Alabama defense, well, what do you think Auburn's and a converted fullback is going to do? Yeah, I agree. I, I just don't think he's going to he, – I don't think he would have had a lot of success, no question about that, William. But um, – just, but your thoughts uh, on uh, on uh, the, and then uh, Thomas had a, an interesting stat too because uh, Kirby Smart almost outsmarted himself with a couple of trick plays. They could have beat Auburn worse than they did, uh, but Auburn's—I mean, excuse me—Georgia still controlled the ball with 39 minutes of uh, possession time. Yeah, and I think that was a uh, you know one of the worst coaching hires that Kirby made in his first year at George, and I understand why he did it. You know, if you want to get who a lot of people think, I don't personally agree with this, but, you know, a lot of people think that that Sam Pittman is the best offensive line coach in college football. I don't agree with that. But if you want to get Sam, you've got to hire Jim Chaney as your offensive coordinator. It's kind of like a, you know, a package deal. And, uh, you know, I've watched Jim Chaney when he was Lane Kiffin's OC at Tennessee. Um, you know, you, you saw what he did when him and Pittman were together at, at Arkansas. And, and, you know, the guy just, you know, he, he's a lot like Gus Malzahn. I mean, he does a good job of moving the football between the 20s 
But when you get inside the red zone, both of those guys, you know, tend to go full retard. And, uh, you know, Georgia left a lot of points out there on the field last week against Auburn. And, you know, some of that, you know, you got to give credit to, to Auburn's defense um, for, mm-hmm. for shutting them down. But, you know, when I saw, you know, I'm not a Kirby Smart fan. Um, I wasn't right. when he was at Alabama. I'm not now when he's at Georgia. But when I saw that, that that's who he hired as his OC, I was like, you know, good Lord. Um, that, that's not that's just not a real smart thing to do. But, uh, you know, that they had the, you know, quote, unquote, number one quarterback in the country. A lot of a lot of people felt like, you know, Jacob Eason was the next Tom Brady. And, you know, he may be when he when he moves on to the NFL in three years. But he made a really bad decision for himself choosing to go to a university that will never have an elite offensive line to protect him. And, you know, unless they just hit it out of the park in the next two years with elite wide receivers, they don't have any of those either at Georgia. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the, I was just mystified by the Jim Chaney hired as, as well, William. I, I wasn't that impressed with him in Arkansas. I thought Dan Enos did a much better job. Uh, I thought he was oh, a pit absolutely. and they were average. You know, and, I, and you're right, he was average at Tennessee. I have not been impressed at all with his uh, – with his work at Georgia this year, especially when you're Sony Michelle and you're Nick Chubb and you finally have to go have a one-on-one meeting with him uh, to get the football. Yeah. And I think that's probably a lot of the, uh, you know, the criticisms that's followed him from Tennessee to Arkansas and from Arkansas to Georgia is, you know, he's kind of a, you know, and I think a lot of Alabama fans, you know, in my opinion, um, Un- unjustifiably, I think a lot of Alabama fans kind of, you know, bang Lane Kiffin for, for being guilty of the same crime. You know, Cheney has a bad habit once he gets into the red zone of, of you know, wanting to throw the football. And, and I understand, um, you know, from playing college football, you know, once, once that area is, is compressed and you don't have the space to work with, uh, you know, inside the 20, um, you know, a lot of times it makes more sense to run the football, especially if you've got a Nick Chubb and a Sonny Michelle um, at running back. But he gets a little bit too pass happy for my thinking. Um, you know, I think, you know, looking at it from Lane Kiffin's perspective, and I know he's frustrated Alabama fans for the last three years for, for the same reason. But I'll say this, you know, show me Jim Chaney's resume over the last three years and compare it to Lane Kiffin's, uh, you know, if things work out the way they're supposed to, uh, you know, Lane Kiffin has produced uh, with first-year starters at quarterback in Blake Sims, Jacob Coker, and a true freshman starter this year in Jalen Hurts. Um, You know, he's going to produce three SEC championships and, and possibly two national championships. So in my mind, the two aren't even really comparable. Exactly. I completely agree. I don't uh, consider him in the same class. And, you know, Sam Pittman, you're right. He and Jim Chaney seem to be a package deal. Uh, Pittman has gotten a lot of ballyhooed attention for uh, the O-line. But right now, uh, the biggest thing they're going to have to do is recruit some difference makers. And I don't see them in Georgia's class coming up. I know they think Kirby's going to finish really strong. And if they can win out, perhaps he will. But 
I, I, I'm, I never, I wasn't, I was underwhelmed with the staff he put together at Georgia, and I've been underwhelmed with his work as a head coach. I, you know, allowing Jim Chaney to run the uh, the trick play inside the 15 with Terry Godwin just mystified me, and then to give it away, the call, what you're going to kind of do on the way they handle that uh, reverse pass on third down uh, against Auburn, uh, which could have turned, you know, turned into a disastrous play. I just didn't understand any of it. Well, and you know, Drew, I think it's going to be real interesting to watch how the rest of uh, the November season, December season plays out. You know, there's a lot of smoke out there right now that uh, LSU may or may not be close um, to uh, sealing a deal with Jimbo Fisher as their next head coach. Um, You know, I've heard from a different source, if they don't do that, that they are going to actually name Ed Ogeron um, as their their uh, head coach, and despite his relationship with Lane Kiffin, uh, one source tells me that his first choice, if he does get the head coaching job um, as his OC, would be Steve Sarkeesian, um, not Lane Kiffin. I, I personally would not be real happy with that, but I would be real happy with that Ogeron being their head coach. Um, you know, Alabama's made a pretty good living, um, you know, going down to the uh, Pelican State and taking, um, you know, top-ranked players away from LSU. But the thing that really stands out to me, and, and, and maybe why I'm kind of more on the side of, uh, you know, as long as LSU throws big money at Jimbo Fisher, you know, I think, you know, if you look at what's happened with that program, after, you know, Jameis Winston left, um, you know, you've got a head coach that, um, you know, his wife got caught having an affair on him with a former Florida football player. Um, you know, Jimbo Fisher's had a lot of adversity overcome the last two years, and I think it would be, a, you know, a perfect time for him to jump ship if that's what he wants to do. But, you know, what does it say about the state of, FSU football, Florida football, and Miami football, there's a really good chance if Alabama can can flip Sean Wade, you know, there's a really good chance that they take the number one DB, the number one offensive lineman in Alex Leatherwood, and the number one defensive lineman in Jerez Parks out of the state of Florida this year. And I think that's a huge statement not only on the positive side for Alabama, but just where those three big-time programs are at in probably the most talent-rich state in the country. That's a great point. I mean, I think the time is right for Jimbo Fisher to leave, uh, but I just wonder if he will ultimately. I know uh, I was told today on my radio show, my daily radio program, uh, Talking Ball, that he's trying to, through Jimmy Sexton, uh, put uh, you know Florida State kind of over a rail here and get more power from the athletic department, such as scheduling, uh, and kind of be the uh, the one voice of the football program like Nick Saban. Uh, but they have they're not having a great year this year, William. A lot of it has been due to underperformance on and injuries on defense, and then having a young quarterback. But uh, I would think if even more so than last year uh, that uh, Jimbo Fisher might be ready to make a move if he ever's going to. And I totally agree with you. And, you know, I think that, you know, the failures this year, um, you know, look, I think the Francois kid is a fantastic quarterback. 
Um, you know, he's got Dalvin Cook, who might be the best running back in college football, lined up behind him. But, you know, where, where Jimbo has kind of failed to a certain extent as the head coach of Florida, you know, he, he's, he's got Rick Trickett down there that's doing all the evaluations and coaching. The, their offensive line is complete garbage. Um, if, if they just had a decent college football offensive line, um, I think that Francois kid with their wide receivers would have set records this year. But you flip over there to the other side, um, and, and, you know, the failures that Charles Kelly has produced, you know, trying to take over for Jeremy Pruitt as the defensive coordinator. You know, you've got a first-round draft pick and Demarcus Walker, who, you know, Alabama fans should be really familiar with. And, you know, you've got the best safety in college football, um, you know, back there on the back end. There, there's no excuse for their defense to be giving up the amount of points that they are you know, with the kind of talent they have at their disposal. And, uh, you know, so what I've seen from Jimbo Fisher is, you know, he, he did a really good job, um, you know, in, in one year in 2013, um, you know, when he had Jameis Winston, you know, and they beat Auburn for the national championship game. But, but I really think, you know, if that kick six game hadn't have happened, between Alabama and Auburn, if Alabama had won that game, um, you know, I think that veteran 2013 Alabama team fully motivated would have dismantled um, Florida State, much in the same way that Oregon did the next year in, in the first round of the college football playoffs. So that's a very interesting take, William. I, I've always wondered how, how many people would have thought that game would uh, have played out. I do think Alabama would have had a great chance. I think it would have been a, a – I always thought it would have been a good football game, but that Alabama would have uh, had the edge. You, you believe they would have taken FSU apart, and you may very well be right because if you remember, Auburn jumped all over them, but uh, Gus Malzahn and the group uh, kind of just got outcoached in the second half. Well, you know, I think that's something to – you know, take into consideration, uh, you know, going into the Iron Bowl week next week. You know, you know, I think Jeremy Pruitt had a a recipe, so to speak, in his first year as a defensive coordinator on his own. And, you know, he got played off of his feet in the first half by Gus Malzahn. You know, Jeremy and, and, and uh, Sal Sanceri, another former Nick Saban assistant, got together at halftime and said, listen, we cannot audible calls in, um, you know, versus this offense. We, we've got to trust the guys to make plays. And if you look at the second half versus Auburn, when Jeremy was at Florida State, they gave up 10 points in the second half. Uh, year one at Georgia, when Jeremy was the D.C., they gave up one touchdown. And that was when Auburn had Nick Marshall. And last year, you know, with questionable talent um, at Georgia, they gave up one touchdown. So, you know, I think that's how, you know, coordinators go from being uh, shining bright lights, you know, at what they're doing at that given time. But, you know, you know, Drew, I was on Ryan Fowler's radio show this afternoon and made the same comment. Um, you know, is he the most polished guy? Is he the best public speaker? 
probably not. But when you look at what it takes to be successful as a big-time college football coach, and that involves uh, evaluations, recruiting, uh, fundraising, um, you know, having a good relationship with your current players on the team, you know, in my opinion, and I'm, you know, look, I'm, I, I call a spade a spade, um, whether it's Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, whoever. But in my mind, I, I think Jeremy Pruitt is probably one of the most underappreciated diamonds in the rough in, in the college football world right now as we're talking about it. You've always been high on him, uh, not just his coaching ability, but as you said, evaluating, recruiting, uh, and personal relationships with the players. Uh, I know they've taken to him and really love the aggression he's brought to the defense and how they've played this year, William. Uh, but in, in your mind, uh, I know there's a lot of talk about Lane Kiffin perhaps uh, going to LSU or Steve Sarkeesian because that's what we're hearing that Ed Orgeron is telling the boosters if he gets the job. But I, I would have a hard time believing uh, that, that either one of those guys would want to go work for Ed Ogeron. He's not a, a, a 100% Cod Lock to succeed. Even Lane Kiffin, who I know is very close with him. Well, you know, I think what you have to look at is, you know, this business, you know, the college football business has kind of turned into a cash grab. And, you know, yeah, that's, that's yeah. kind of the reason why, you know, I tend to believe as, as long as the money is there, and, I mean, you know, I don't know if it is or not, but that's kind of the reason why I'm leaning more towards, uh, you know, if they can put it all together, that, that Jimbo Fisher leaves Florida State and goes to LSU. But let's just say that he does. Right. And, right. and Odron gets the job. Um, you know, do, do, if you're at Odron, do you want to bring a guy in, um, you know, like Lane Kiffin, uh, you know, number one, can LSU um, afford to pay uh, Lane Kiffin the same amount of money that he's making at Alabama as the OC, number one? Number two, if, you know, you, you pass over him and try and approach his buddy, Steve Sarkeesian, you know, is the money there? Certainly there's going to be more money there for him at LSU than he's making at Alabama right now, but that that would be the perfect storm, in my opinion. You know, if Jimbo Fisher turns that head coaching job down at LSU and they have to turn to Ed Ogeron, um, I, I would think that, uh, you know, Lane Kiff, I mean, uh, Nick Saban would pass Christmas presents around at his house on December the 25th and just giggle to himself silently going, guess what, I'm fixing it. You know, I, I get two two or three guys a year um, out of the state of Louisiana. Uh, this just opened the floodgates. Yeah, that's true. And but do you believe uh, that with Lane Kiffin, I've got to, I've got to think he's got his eyes on a head coaching opportunity. And and I know Fresno State already hired Jeff Tedford, which is his alma mater. I've thought that there could be some smoke there uh, for Lane Kiffin. It didn't happen, but. Do you see an opportunity? We haven't seen the firing season happen. That won't be for another couple of two or three weeks. But do you think there's going to be an opportunity open up for Lane as a head coach? Well, you know, Drew, I think this is where it gets really interesting. You know, the guys that spend 
three years plus with Nick at Alabama on, on right. the coaching staff. And, you know, certainly Lane falls into that category. You know, I think where it becomes a, you know, interesting proposition is, you know, that they, they see the amount of money that he has at his disposal for support staff, assistant coaches, facilities, recruiting. And, you know, I, I think that Lane Kiffin has seen this. Certainly Jeremy Pruitt's seen this. Kirby Smart has seen this. Um, and then they get that opportunity. You know, unless you go to a school like maybe Texas, uh, Ohio mm-hmm. State, Michigan maybe, you're not going to get that same type of financial commitment to the football program. Um, you know, even, you know, Kirby going you – know, don't, don't get me wrong, I understand why Kirby went back to Georgia. That's his alma mater. But they don't even have the financial commitment um, from a from a uh, financial standpoint that Nick has at Alabama. So, don't get me wrong. I mean, I understand why Nick Saban is so successful. But one of the main reasons why he's so successful is, you know, he's the guy – that's sitting up there in that big office writing all those checks that he gets to write. And, you know, unless you're a, you know, a guy that's worked for him and, you know, you look at starting, and I personally don't believe Drew that, you know, despite how good Lane Kiffin has been as the OC at Alabama for the last three years, I, you know, I still think there is some, power five athletic directors out there that really probably won't be um, quick to write a check to Lane Kiffin to be their next head coach based on his baggage. Yeah, that's what I think it's been affecting him. I think it affected him last year, and I think it's affected him this year. I mean, his body of work is tremendous. I mean, he's now done it with three different quarterbacks. He has Alabama on the precipice of a third straight playoff berth, which has not happened. It would be the only school that's been in all three playoffs. Uh, so, uh, but, but you know, there's just not a whole lot of buzz right now. Do you think Lane Kiffin would consider, and we know he, he did after his first season in Tuscaloosa, but what about an opportunity as an offensive coordinator in the NFL? You know, I think that's certainly in play. You know, the, the rhetoric that I heard about Lane coming out of uh, fall camp was, that you know what what his you know grand plan was going to be, especially after they brought Sarkeesian in, was that, that he planned on taking a year away from football, and you know he really had a desire to go back out to California or maybe now Tampa, um, depending on where Layla and the kids are, um, and, and trying to put his family back together. Which you know, as a man, I, I certainly appreciate that, and I think that's a a very admirable thought, but, you know, I, I just don't see where, you know, there's going to be a big time job that comes in that, that lures him away from, you know, making that $1.5 million a year at Alabama. Um, you know, if that's what he wants to do and that's where his, what his motivation is good for him. I think that's a great train of thought and a great plan to have. Um, and as far as trying to maybe trying to put the pieces of his family back together. But, you know, I think that's, you know, it throws it right back to, 
you know, where Jeremy Pruitt is um, at Alabama, what Kirby was working with. Um, you know, there's just, there's just, you know, only a few certain places in the country where you have that financial commitment from an athletic director where you can go and be successful. Exactly. I mean, uh, and that's was kind of where uh, Wesley Neighbors was a uh, where he uh, realized, uh, you know, that sometimes the grass is not always greener because I know Kirby Smart tried to recruit him to go with him to Georgia, but uh, their budget is about half what Alabama's is, and he could not match what Nick Saban was going to do financially. And, uh, and as you see, and he, of course, got promoted to, up to Glenn Schumann's position minus the recruiting responsibilities. Uh, but Wesley Neighbors stayed, and there's a lot of – Scott Cochran to a certain degree. There's a lot of people thought Coach Cochran would go – uh, to Georgia, but he didn't because of the money and because of what Nick Saban did to take care of him. Yeah, and I think, you know, it wasn't just Scott Cochran. It wasn't just Wesley Neighbors. I mean, Kirby went after Lane Kiffin. Um, yeah, he Tosh went after Lapoy. Tosh yeah. Lapoy. Um, You know, he went after, you know, a big percentage of Alabama's coaching staff. And, uh, you know, I think the, uh, uh, you know, the best story to tell on that whole, you know, sordid deal was, you know, Lane Kiffin, I mean, excuse me, uh, Tosh Lapoy and, and Nick Saban, you know, were on the Alabama Jet going to see a uh, highly rated prospect last year. And, you know, Tosh said, you know, hey, Coach, uh, you know, I've got this offer from Kirby, and, you know, I'm going to take it. And he goes, well, what's the offer? And, uh, you know, Tosh told him, and um, you know, he, he was going to kind of be – you know, the de facto defensive coordinator over at Georgia, but not really. It was going to be Mel Tucker. And, uh, you know, Nick put it put it in the back burner real quick. He said, well, I'm going to give you a $50,000 raise, and uh, we'll work on your bullshit title next week. How about that? And that was the end <laughs> of Tosh Lapoy's, you know, flirtation with Kirby in Georgia. Yeah, and he was named co-defensive coordinator along with Jeremy Pruitt. He did get – a new title and he's done a great job in recruiting and that's kind of where, where I was going to, uh, we're going to talk to Chris Kirshner in the second hour, but wanted to kind of talk a little recruiting with you. Uh, we know Jedrick Wills finally went public to Alabama this week. Uh, right. You know, uh, and that, that was an interesting uh, kind of development. Uh, we talked about it a little bit uh, on uh, talking ball. It looks like uh, that could pretend bad things to come for Isaiah Wilson, but I will say this, I find it very interesting uh, that Elliot Baker, the junior college commitment, is now visiting LSU and Texas A&M. So uh, we, if Alabama were to stay in on Isaiah Wilson and could also pull Trey Smith, we might see Elliot Baker go the way of Gary Johnson. You, you really could. And, and I, you know, I think the, 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 the honest thing to say about where Alabama is in recruiting right now is, is number one, you know, they've already reached out to three or four guys um, that are current commitments. And, you know, they've signed off and said, you know, hey, we're okay with this. Um, that could get the uh, Darius Phelan, uh, you know, national signing day call and ask to be, you know, the gray shirt, number one. So, mm-hmm. you know, th- there's there's plenty of, of guys out there that Alabama could possibly get um, if they want them, you know, if they, if they get a chance at a Marvin Wilson, um, you know, if they get a chance of a, of a Barrett Browning, 
um, you know, there's guys that have already been said, you know, been told, you know, hey, um, if we have to call you, you're going to take a gray shirt, and they're like, okay, we're going to take it. But, yeah. you know, they're, they're so far down the road with so many of these other prospects. Um, I, you know, I personally think if you look at what Alabama did in the offensive line recruiting department last year in that recruiting class, with with what they have a chance to capture this year, um, that that's the best two-year run of offensive line recruiting that I've ever seen by any school not named Alabama in college football history. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, you know, you start looking at this class. I mean, is is Alex Leatherwood, Jonah Williams? No, he's not, but he's pretty damn close. Uh, you know, what about Jedrick Wills? I mean, if he reshapes his body, he's got a chance to maybe be an SEC right tackle, but maybe more so an offensive guard. Um, you know, the one that really cracks cracks me up more than anybody is Hunter Brannett, uh, you yeah. know, the center prospect from Coleman. Uh, you know, he's the lowest-rated guy out of all of those offensive linemen, and he beat out. Caesar Ruiz, who some people have rated a five-star and considered the number one center in the country, and Hunter Brandon beat him out for the Alabama offer at, at the camp in July. So, you know, this is an epic O-line class that's coming in. It really is. And I wanted to, uh, to, to ask you uh, also uh, about – uh, as far as offensive line, we didn't really talk about this, but Corin Curvin is, and you, and the reason I, I mentioned this also is because of Darius Phylon, who he was basically chosen over. Curvin has had a star-crossed career. He was 17 years old when he was signed. Uh, he had a rod in his leg from an injury that he had to recover from. Now uh, he looks as though he could rewrite the end of his career. Nick Saban hinting strongly, Lester Cotton, they, they, he said today on his tonight on his radio show, if they felt like Lester would be as good a tackle, or excuse me, as good a guard as he was a tackle, that wasn't the case. They're moving Lester back to right tackle. It looks like Corin Curvin has won the right guard job. Your thoughts? Well, you know, I think first of all, before you have to talk about Corin Curvin, you have to talk about Lester Cotton. And, you know, the reason he's in the position that he's in right now is twofold. Number one, uh, you know, Alabama has a ton of, you know, highly rated offensive linemen at their disposal on that depth chart, number one. Number two, the physical aspect of, you know, being an SEC offensive lineman has never escaped Lester Cotton's wheelhouse. What, what The reason he's in the situation that he's in, uh, number one, he had a concussion. Number two, um you know, he really struggled to qualify academically coming out of high school. And, you know, you know, Drew, it's hard for me to, you know, express this on the radio show, but, you know, when you're, you know, playing offensive line in the SEC, the clock gets to 10. And, you know, Jalen Hurts or Sean White at Auburn, whoever it is, decides to change the play. And, you know, those numbers get clicked off. 
the D line changes. If you're Lester Cotton and right guard, the D tackle in front of you goes from a one technique to a three technique, and the linebacker walks up into the hole. There's a lot of cerebral stuff that goes on there, and you've got to be able to think on your feet. One, two, three, and bam, it happens. And, you know, I think that's where, you know, Lester Cotton has kind of struggled is with the cerebral part of his game. It's not the physical part. I mean, that guy's got it where that's concerned. Um, but, you know, seeing a guy like Corin Curvin, you know, that's put his time into the program, um, you know, he's, he's kind of become the, uh, you know, the 2016 version of Alfred McCullough. Um, you know, he's played every position on the O-line except for center. So, you know, he's there. He's available. He's he's a veteran. Um, you know, he can make all the blocks. So, you know, yeah, they're doing that, and, and I'm happy for him. Um, you know, to see that work out in a positive manner. You know, and let's not forget, you know, and you touched on this, uh, Corin Curvin, um, what, four or five years ago, over uh, uh, what was the kid's name in Mobile at Viger? Uh, Darius Phylon. Darius Phylon. You know, got the yeah, call at midnight. Now. Yep. Yeah, got yep. the call at midnight on National Signing Day. You know, hey, we want you to take a, a gray shirt um, because we've take we've given uh, Corin Curvin your scholarship. So, you know, good stuff, great stories. Yeah, and I and I would be and I, and you got to give it to Curvin because unlike, you know, Kendall Sheffield and even Marty Smith who transferred to Georgia, he stuck it out even though his role, you know, everybody wants to start, uh but he's uh, you know, just done what they've told him to do. He got some time at right tackle last year, and it sounds like William uh the weeks of practice in the last in the last few uh, Cord Curvin really proved to the coaching staff he could do the job at right guard. They were happy with what they saw against Mississippi State, and it sounds like for this week of preparation for Chattanooga and likely going forward, uh, Joshua Casher is also going to see some time, but uh, that he's uh, really uh, kind of taking the bull by the horns here. Yeah, you know, I think you'll see that, that same recipe play out until, uh, you know, the bowl practices. Um, he, he He's – you know, weathered the storm, uh, played really well, in my opinion, against Mississippi State. Um, you know, he's played left tackle, right tackle. You know, now he's the starting right guard at Alabama. Um, I, you know, I think Corin Turvin has put the time in and has done a great job for, for Alabama football. Um, you know, you kind of have to start, you know, weighing that against, you know, what's going on with Lester Cotton, but at the same time, um, he's, he's done a great job. And, uh, you know, I think it, it really is. It's, it's the, the Alfred McCullough recipe right. from yeah. what? 2011, uh, when mm-hmm. Alfred was a senior, um, you know, this yep. cat's played every position on the offensive line, except for center. And he's done it at high level. Yeah, he really has, and now he's uh, going to hopefully rewrite the end of his career. And, William, finally, and we thank you for joining us for about 45 minutes tonight on BAMS Radio. What are we looking for, for against Chattanooga? Are we just looking for the same kind of uh, evisceration we saw against uh, Mississippi, Mississippi State and just coming out healthy, I guess? 
Well, I mean, I think what you're looking for is, uh, you know, Nick Saban's already talked about this. They want to see, you know, Jalen Hurts progress. Um, you know, they want to see the same performance out of the defense that they've seen. You know, in a perfect world against a team like this, um, you know, all I can do is, you know, relay what it was like under Gene Stallings, um, you know, mm-hmm. when I was playing. Um, you know, if you were up 40 to nothing at halftime, you know, the coaches would come to you, you know, in the locker room and say, guess what? If you score or kick at a score in the second half, we're going to get you off the field and, you know, put the backups in. And I think that's the same goal for, you know, this Alabama football team. Um, yeah, I, I, I totally expect uh, the running game to be diminished and Jalen Hurts is going to throw the football all over the place. And, you know, at halftime of that game, you're going to see, uh, you know, Cooper Bateman and, you know, the backup running backs and, and you know, the second-team defense in there, you know, early and often, hopefully, uh, you know, against UT Chattanooga. Yeah, absolutely. I think you'll see a lot of guys playing. Maybe Raquan Davis can continue to make progress. Had a big sack last week. I think the the ones you don't see, of course, are going to be your obvious red shirts like Quinn Williams. But uh, still, uh, some young players should see a lot of time. More Aaron Robinson, who made a play. So it should be a very interesting weekend. And then we'll get down to the stretch run and back to the grind in the SEC. And Alabama will see who their opponent will be following this weekend, in my opinion. If we see Florida fall to LSU, it's going to be Tennessee. Uh, but if if we see Florida step up, then it's going to be a rematch with Coach McElwain and the Gators. But I think they face a tall task in red stick against Louisiana State. But, William, we always appreciate your time. Thank you for joining BAMS Radio, and we look forward to catching up. We have a great Thanksgiving, and I hope you had a great birthday yesterday. And, hey, man, we probably won't be catching up until uh, maybe uh, right before the SEC Championship game, but we always appreciate your time. Thank you, Drew. Appreciate it. That's William Redfish Barger and uh, Thomas Watts uh, now back in here with me. And, uh, Thomas, uh, very interesting thoughts from William. Uh, Basically, it it all comes down to kind of what we talked about in the beginning. You want to execute and get better, but you just also – the biggest thing is keep people off the training table, and you don't want to get anyone injured. Right. You know, come out, get your win, let the players get their reps, and come out healthy. And, and Drew, I I don't mean to be – Good lowered. I just saw what you said. Yeah, for fans that are listening live and might not be at a television, you might want to turn it on because Houston is up 17 nothing early in the second quarter on number five Louisville. And, Drew, I, I'm, I know this is putting the cart way, 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 way before the horse here, but should Louisville lose and Lamar Jackson looks bad, the Heisman Trophy, you know, that gets – opened back up. And I don't know if you saw a bunch of the Heisman Trophy polls, but right. Jalen Hurts is, is lurking. And, well, and I, mean, that, that, I think it's stunning, and I think it's ridiculous, but you, know, you saw a bunch of the conversations had, and Jalen Hurts is lurking. And if Lamar Jackson stumbles, the question will get asked, I promise you. I don't know why this game slipped my mind. I mean, we were talking about it on my show today. I guess because 
you just, you, I'm still just grasping that it's already Thursday. But good lord, I, I, seriously, I mean, I, you know, they're now trying to drive. I just turned it on at the start of the second quarter. But this is Bobby Petrino in a nutshell. Uh, first, he starts flapping his trap about. Uh, you know, you know who is Clemson, who is Alabama played in relation to Clemson? Clemson's played the most difficult schedule, and then the Clown Patrol loses to Pitt because they decide not to punt the football. And then you see uh, Louisville last week, and where the heck was that throw going? Uh, but anyway, you see Louisville last week for three quarters, they're losing to Wake Forest. Wake Forest? Are you kidding me? And they and and, and Lamar Jackson, first of all has earned everything he's gotten this year. The, the kid is an electric talent, but he's never seen anything like Alabama. Do you understand? And Bobby Petrino has, and he should want to stay as far away from Alabama as anything because at Arkansas, except for 2010, which was a great comeback by the Tide, it was nothing but a bunch of beatdowns as Lamar Jackson just gets beat down to the turf right there. Yeah, you know, looking at the stats, two early fumbles. Yeah, Louisville has looked bad. Do you really think he could lose the Heisman at this point, though? Well, I think it would take a very bad performance. I think the the only things that will lose him the Heisman are if this performance continues to sort of spin itself to pieces against Houston right. and or, or, or an injury. Because, you know, this Lamar Jackson's, like, earning the Heisman trophy reminds me of a guy from the early 2000s, the Oregon quarterback Dennis Dixon. Ah, yes, I remember that. Well, he got injured, yes. Right. So – it's it, it that those are really the only two circumstances, but the problem for Jackson is very similar to a little. It's it's frankly Lamar Jackson's problem mirrors what Ohio State's problem is going to be should they beat Michigan and Penn and Penn State wins out. They've been ridiculously, you know, they've been hyped, 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 and they've played some dead gum good football. But that last week of the year, you know, your last audition. You're sitting at home on the couch while other teams are playing for championships. So it's it's it, it's it's still Jackson's to lose, but there are ways in my mind that questions can be posed. And once there are questions, you know, from there, it's anybody's game. Well, No, if he explodes for 300 yards over the next, you know, two and a half quarters, you know, ball game. Give him the Heisman walk on. Yeah. But I'm just saying. Well, and I'll say this, too. I am digging the gray and red uniforms. I really like them. But anyway, uh, for Houston, but, uh, but yeah, and I will say this, too. This kind of reminds me of when Alabama in 2005 played in the Cotton Bowl against Texas Tech, and everyone – and Lou Holtz said in his infinite wisdom that they would score 70 on Alabama, and Alabama couldn't stop them, and the quarterback ended up in the hospital. I mean, you just well, sometimes – Ed Oliver's been unblockable. You just, sometimes you just don't understand what good defense looks like, and I'm I'm afraid you know uh, Houston may be showing that to uh, to uh, Louisville right now. But I'll say this too: if if Tom Herman wins this game, goodbye Charlie Strong, a hundred percent. Yeah, if not already, because yeah. they're going to be all over Tom Herman and offer him five million plus. Uh, to come to Texas, and I think he'll do it. But, Thomas, we need to take our quick, you know, five-minute break here uh, so we can allow uh, ourselves to recharge and you can get Chris Kirchner on the phone. We're going to talk some recruiting with him and uh, some football, but we're going to take our quick little break here uh, as we uh, roll along with this second hour of BAMS Radio. And coming back uh, from this break, Chris Kirchner of SEC Country, part of the AJC, talking some recruiting. 
Pretend I don't live in it Sunshine gonna wash my blues away Had sweet love but I lost it She got too close so far And now I'm lost in the world Trying to find me a better way Wishing I was deep, deep in the water somewhere Got the blue sky breeze and it don't seem fair Only worry in the world is the tide gonna reach my chair Sunrise, there's a fire in the sky Never been so happy, never felt so high And I think I might have found me my own kind of paradise I'll be back in a minute Bought a boat and I sailed off in it Don't think anybody's gonna miss me anyway Mind on a permanent vacation The ocean is my only medication Wishing my condition ain't ever gonna go away Cause now I'm deep, deep in the water somewhere Got the blue sky breeze blowing wind through my hair Only worry in the world is the tide gonna reach my chair Sunrise, there's a fire in the sky Never been so happy, never felt so high And I think I might have found me my own kind of paradise This champagne show washing over me It's a sweet, sweet life Living by the salty sea One day you'll be as lost as me Change your geography Maybe you might be Somewhere got the blue sky breeze blowing wind through my hair. Only worry in the world is the tide gonna reach my chair. Sunrise, there's a fire in the sky. Never been so happy, never felt so high. And I think I might have found me my own kind of paradise. Come on in the water's nice, find yourself a little slice. Grab a backpack and lines you never know until you try. When you lose yourself. You find the key to paradise. Welcome back. As Houston continues to lead 17 to nothing over the Louisville Cardinals in this wacky college football playoff down the stretch season, uh, Louisville, of course, has positioned itself number five, but Houston now uh, past midfield trying to drive and take an even bigger lead. Greg Ward, Jr. at quarterback, he's already thrown two touchdowns and for 124 yards as they've been able to slow down uh, Lamar Jackson thus far uh, in Houston, Texas. Uh, as we said, Major Applewhite, former Alabama OC, is the offensive coordinator for the Cougars. Uh, they are definitely going to be uh, wanted men if they finish this drill. He and Tom Herman, could Major Applewhite be going back to his alma mater uh, to the University of Texas? He was on Mac Brown's staff after uh, being dismissed by Nick Saban as the OC in 2007. But uh, really interesting developments there. Now, speaking of developments, he's been all over it. He does an outstanding job both on, uh, for a, on the, uh, when he comes on BAM's radio with us and also on my Talking Ball program. And if you've you got you you to follow this guy, Chris Kirchner, on Twitter. He, just, he has all kind of unique stories and angles in the way he covers uh, Alabama football recruiting for the uh, SEC country, which is part of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. 
And we are joined now on the Sunbelt Tents hotline by our good friend, Chris Kirshner. Chris, it's always good to catch up with you. How are you tonight? Doing well. You know, I'm in, I'm in uh, Honolulu. Uh, life is great. Uh, there's worse places to be than Honolulu, <laughs> Hawaii. You know you work for a good company when they're flying you to Honolulu, Hawaii. And before that, you were in California for three or four days uh, talking to right. folks around the Najee Harris camp. There's worse jobs to have than being able to talk to, to the great prospects and, and people close to them of these guys that are going to be future, in my opinion, Alabama football stars, and you get a chance to do that, and your travels just so happen to take you to Hawaii. Unbelievable uh, and uh, great job. You've, done, you've been as uh, the best we've ever seen is, and I've read everything you've done on uh, Tua Tagovailoa. You've done the best job of covering him and gotten close to his family. And I got to give you a lot of credit. Uh, the story coming out uh, this week uh, that Tua looks like he is done with his recruitment. We saw USC throw up the white flag, flipping uh, Sears from Duke uh, to them, and now it looks like Tua is uh, going to uh, be going to Alabama. Yeah, um, that's definitely a, a huge win for Alabama. I- you know, when, when he committed to um, the Tide back in May, he had always said that, you know, I, I still want to take all five official visits. I'm, I'm still going to right. talk to um, other schools. I'm going to listen to what they have to say. But, um, you know, yeah, Tua is done with his recruitment. And that's obviously huge because, you know, he is 4,000 miles away from Alabama. And a lot of people, myself included at the time, thought, yeah, I mean, it's nice right now. Yeah, he's a great quarterback, but there's no way this guy's going to stick with his commitment. He's 4,000 miles away, and he, he loves his family and loves being around them. And there's just no way it's going to happen. But, um, yeah, you know, he's he's done. He's 100% solid. Um, only one official visit, and that's going to be to Alabama um, December 8th, which is the day that Nick Saban, Lane Kiffin, and Tosh Lupoy will fly to Hawaii for – their in-home visit and um, they're going to Tuscaloosa pretty much right after the dinner they have. And he's, um, he's going to be, you know, just set with Alabama and moving forward with his life. So it's definitely a big win for Alabama to get this guy on board. Um, You know, from watching him practice this week, talking to people um, in the St. Louis program, um, obviously St. Louis um, high school here in Honolulu has had Marcus Mariota come through. Timmy Chang, some some good, uh, you know, college um, prospects. Um, obviously, Mariota's doing well with the Titans. And they've all told me that Tua is a really, really special guy. So, for Alabama to hold on to his commitment, it's definitely um, nice for the future of uh, Crimson Tide football. And then uh, talk about it. Because, you know, when all this you know commitment went down and everything – Nobody, no one was really thinking that Jalen Hurts would be the quarterback as a true freshman and, and do what he's done and, and be a dark horse Heisman candidate and lead Alabama to the number one rating and, and be the record breaker that he is. Many uh, with that development thought as you, that Tua, this would push him away even more so uh, and that he right. would uh, in, uh, end up at Southern Cal or Oregon or somewhere like that. But this seems to have fueled his fire. Kind of talk about the, what you've learned about Tua and his mindset in competing against someone like Jalen Hurts. Yeah, you know, like you said, a lot of times when, especially the five-star quarterbacks, the top guys, they see a guy on the roster already, and they're like, well, whatever, I'm I'm just going to go somewhere else. I know I can start at another program that's recruiting me. 
But for Tua, um, he really is like the ultimate competitor. His sophomore year here at St. Louis High School, um, St. Louis had a senior who was an all-state selection um, his junior year. And Tua was, you know, he, he was kind of fed up with, you know, sitting on the bench and not being able to play. So he did something about it. Like he went into his sophomore year, um, he was telling his dad, you know, I, I can't sit on the bench anymore. I have to play, and I'm going to do what it takes to um, beat Ryder Coons out, who was the, um, the quarterback at the time for St. Louis, and he did. He beat, he beat out the senior who was All-State the, the previous year, and he just loves competing. He wants to he, – he told me he wants to play with the best, and he believes that Alabama is, um, presents that, that option for him. Not only is there a good quarterback already on the roster – but, you know, he's surrounded by the best prospects in the country, um, the best defense he can go up against every single day in practice. And that's what he wants to do in college. He wants to be possible for a career. He leaves Alabama as a place for him. That's a really, as you said, that's a boon for Alabama. And, of course, I remember you covering this angle of the story uh, when uh, he committed about Lane Kiffin and his future. And, uh, and of course, Lane Kiffin may return for a fourth year. That's still to be determined. But I, I wanted, I wondered, have you asked them about the inclusion of Steve Sarkeesian on the coaching staff while he can't recruit off campus? He's a part of that staff. I know they knew him well at Southern Cal. Has that helped him decide to stay with Alabama? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it played a factor for sure, but it's not, it's not really that big of a deal. Um, I even asked that, you know, what happens if, uh, if Lane Kiffin takes a coaching job elsewhere? It's not really that big of a deal. Um, e- even if Lou Poy left, he's very close with Lou Poy. He talks to Nick Saban a lot, but he just really loves being at Alabama. And, um, you know, he loves Tuscaloosa. He and his family went there for a week before he committed in May. And he just he really loves the program. So, yes, it was nice that um, Saban hired Sark, but it's not that it's not a huge factor for his commitment and why he chose the school and why he decided to stick with the school. And then uh, I know uh, you also uh, you've talked to uh, to his brother who. Uh, you photographed mm-hmm. in an Alabama T-shirt, and that's not to be unexpected. He's at a, a rival high school. I believe he's a sophomore. He's a very talented prospect. Mm-hmm. What was his take on all this? Yeah, um, it was funny because uh, Talia, to his brother, had no idea that I was going to be interviewing him that day. So, yeah, he just happened to be wearing an Alabama shirt. Um, he, he absolutely loves Alabama. <laughs> he hasn't been to Tuscaloosa um, yet, but – yeah, he wants to play for Nick Saban. He wanted to commit to Alabama when he got that offer um, this summer, but his parents, you know, told him that he's a sophomore. Uh, he still has two more years in, in high school to go. So, um, you know, if Alabama is the school you want to go to come senior year, then by all means go ahead and commit to Alabama. But um, he, he loves everything about it. He and two are very, very close. Um, they have a really good relationship. Tua has pretty much been Talia's mentor um, in football, even though they go to rival high schools. Um, but, yeah, Talia loves Alabama. And, he, you know, if that offer still is committable come senior year, I fully expect him to commit to Alabama if everything goes well with um, Tua and how he's progressing there. 
and I, I know you've been able to speak down there and see some things. Uh, we've tried to keep up via stats and reading about it, but how has Tua's senior season gone, Chris? Yeah, I don't, I don't have the stats on me right now, but um, right, by, right. from talking with the coaches and stuff, uh, Tua has been pretty much incredible all season. Um, he had one game earlier this year. Um, the, the team was down 17 nothing, and Tua um, pretty much took over the game. That was the game he had nine touchdowns. Um, you know, set school records, um, set some Hawaii records. But, um, yeah, from talking with his offensive coordinator and head coach, um, this this is one of two of his best seasons, if not the best season he's had. Um, the coaches tell me that he's progressed uh, exponentially every single year. And they think, you know, with Lane Kiffin showing that Alabama can – you know, run a um, the offense he's running now with a dual threat quarterback in Jalen Hurts. That two is only going to get better. He's only going to get stronger. He's only going to get faster. Um, his arm strength is just incredible um, to see in person. Uh, he he has a, a cannon of an arm. So yeah, the coaches believe that um, Alabama is getting a star. And then I know you got a chance uh, to 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 uh, the, to talk to the QB coach that work with both mm-hmm. uh, Tua Tagovailoa and back when Marcus Mariota was part of this program, uh, kind of talk about the comparisons he made among those two. Of course, Marcus going on to be a Heisman Trophy winner and the number two pick in the draft and now the starter for the Titans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Marcus didn't start um, until his senior year at St. Louis High School. Uh, Tua has started since sophomore year, so Tua has, has had more reps. Um, obviously, because he started since his sophomore year. But one of the main differences he was talking about um, between Mariota and um, and Tua is the fact that um, Tua, he's really uh, a leader by um, not only example, but he, he's a, a talkative guy. Like Guys like rallying around him. And I saw that firsthand back in July at the opening. Um, guys he had just met for one week were just loving um, playing for Tua. Um, there's just something about him that all these guys love. And from talking with his teammates, it's the same thing here. They love playing for Tua, and they love being around that guy. So, yeah, that that was probably the main difference. Marcus was more so of a quiet leader. Um, didn't really, you know, he wouldn't get on you. Um, if you made a mistake, if you if you did well, he would just you know he would kind of keep to himself. But Tua is definitely um, a talkative guy, um, one that leads not only by example, but you know he he'll get on you if if you run the wrong route, he'll let you know, um, you know, hey man, like you need to do this better, you need to run that route correctly next time so we can win. So that's probably the main difference as far as um, skills on the field. Uh, Tua's arm is not really comparable to Mariota's. Tua has a much stronger arm than um, Marcus, especially when he was here um, in Honolulu back in, um, back in senior year. There's really no comparison. Um, the quarterback coach told me that um, as far as Tua's, from where Tua is now to where Marcus was his senior year, Tua is um, by far the better prospect of the two when um, Marcus was a senior. 
That is great stuff and great insight that you're only going to hear uh, from uh, Chris Kirchner of the AJC because he is very close to his family. And right now he is in Honolulu, Hawaii, covering Rotua Tagovailoa and broke the story that he will be going to Alabama. It seems as though he's only going to go on the one official visit. It is done. He is going to uh, enroll early for the university. And he's uh, ready to compete, ready to uh, take a run at Jalen Hurts, much like he did beating out a – returning standout senior when he was a 10th grader at St. Louis High School. Uh, but, Chris, uh, also you've uh, been all over uh, the other situations. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on Jedrick Wills, his commitment to Alabama, and kind of what that means. We've been hearing a lot of smoke around him since July, uh, that he was a heavy lean. He'd kind of been put on hold, told to wait a little bit. He did that, and uh, wow. Uh, you know, so uh, he's now part of the class. It looks like a very good offensive line group right now, but – your, your thoughts on Jedrick Wills and kind of where he fits. Yeah, well, first off, I thought the, um, the commitment itself, the timing of it just was uh, very odd to me. He hadn't visited in a while. Um, you know, he didn't really talk much about Alabama as of late. So um, that part was definitely odd. But like you said, um, it looked like he was going to be choosing Alabama uh, back in early August. He had tweeted out um, that he was going to be making an announcement in two weeks. Uh, talked to his coach back then in, in um, late July, and he said, yeah, um, Wills is going to be announcing his commitment um, in the next two weeks. Um, uh, two weeks passed, a uh, month, two months, three months. Um, and then finally, yeah, he uh, decided to commit to Alabama this week. Um, and it's another big win for Alabama because it's a 6'5", 300-pound, uh, very athletic offensive lineman. His coach actually told me that, um, it's not surprising if if you go to Lafayette High School in Lexington that uh, Jedrick Wills is beating um, wide receivers in 40-yard dashes that they run in practice. So that's the kind of athletic offensive lineman that Nick Saban loves to have. Um, it still remains to be seen where exactly he's going to play. Um, his coach believes that they're recruiting him a tackle, but um, sources close to the Alabama program told me that they like him at guard, and that was one of the big holdups in why he decided to um, wait it out because he he was pretty much set on playing offensive tackle. Um, I haven't talked to him yet since he committed just because I've been um, really busy here in, in Honolulu, but once I talk to him, I, I hope to get more um, clarity on which position that Alabama is recruiting him at because Obviously, Alabama does have two um, elite offensive tackles committed already in the 2017 class, and Alex Leatherwood and Elliott Baker. But um, his coach told me that he, he has no problem playing offensive guard. He has the skills needed to play there. Um, he is very athletic, like I said. So um, just to have him in the class um, is a definitely a big win, especially because um, the other schools mentioned – in his um, in his final group, Tennessee, Kentucky, two SEC schools. Um, it's always nice getting a guy that was considering other SEC schools on your roster. And then Alabama still involved uh, with Trey Smith of Jackson, Tennessee, uh, and uh, Isaiah Wilson of uh, Brooklyn, New York. Uh, your thoughts on the on their board on the board? And we talked with a little bit in the first hour with our first guest, William Redfish Barger. I think it's interesting. Elliott Baker has been a, a rock-solid commitment, but now he's visiting Texas A&M and uh, LSU, supposedly. Uh, mm-hmm. 
you know, with Alabama being involved with these other two elite players, do you think that may mean uh, that uh, Elliot Baker could end up elsewhere? Definitely think so. Um, you know, I I was in San Francisco last week and I I talked to Elliot. Um, this was before he um, said that he was going to be taking visits elsewhere. But when I asked him, you know, um, you know, you've been very solid ever since you committed to Alabama this past summer. You haven't visited anywhere else. Are you going to explore these new options? He had just picked up a Texas A&M offer um, a couple days prior to when I asked him this in San Francisco last week. And he actually laughed. He said no. He laughed after the thought of visiting elsewhere. So it's definitely interesting to see um, Baker, um, you know, take these visits elsewhere. Um, is it a coincidence that Wills, another offensive tackle, he's listed as offensive tackle, pick Alabama, um, you know, a couple days after Elliott Baker decides to visit other programs? It could be. Or it could be that Elliott Baker, you know, was notified that we're going to be getting another offensive line commit. He could play offensive tackle. And maybe this is Baker saying, you know what, maybe I, I need to take these other visits elsewhere just to see what other programs are out there for me and what they have to offer. But um, Baker is going to be visiting Alabama next weekend for the Iron Bowl. That's his official visit. And like you said, he'll be visiting Texas A&M and LSU. But with this new development of him, you know, exploring other options, uh, I definitely do think that there's a possibility that um, later on down the road that Elliot Baker may not be a part of this class. And what chances do you give Alabama? Trey Smith, it's kind of been – there's a lot of been uh, smoke and, and, and developments in the last month because for a right. long time it was uh, considered Tennessee, but now Alabama seems to have made a – uh, re uh, kind of re-increase their uh, pursuit of Trey. And then they've been in pursuit of Wilson since the summer. What are their chances with these two young men in your mind? Yeah, um, again, it's a, five, it's a five-man offensive line class right now. Um, Alabama would love to have either Trey Smith or Isaiah Wilson. I, I don't think it's possible to sign both of them unless, um, you know, decommitments happen or, or flips or whatever. Um, but yeah, uh, I think Trey Smith, there's definite buzz from what I've been hearing. Um, he, he grew up an Alabama fan. I remember talking to him at the opening He he vividly recalled, um, his first game in Brian Denny stadium when he was a kindergartner, he went with his teacher. Um, they got to, they got a chance to go in the locker room because his teacher knew one of the equipment managers, um, for Alabama at the time. And he's been an Alabama fan. Um, since then, uh, he has lots of decorations in his room um, for the Crimson Tide. But um, one of the main things that's in Alabama's way of getting one of the best offensive linemen, um, not offensive linemen, just prospects in general, is that his sister works for Tennessee in um, Butch Jones's recruiting office. Um, and the thing with that is that uh, Trey's, Trey's mother um, tragically passed away when, um, when he was younger, and his sister has pretty much been, um, you know, his, his mother um, when he's been growing up. So they are very close, um, and that's, a lot, that's one of the main reasons why a lot of people, myself included, think that when he does commit, um, Tennessee is probably going to be the choice. But if there's any school that can change Trey's mind, it's Alabama just because um, you know, he's, he's grown up an Alabama fan. He loves it. He took two trips um, to Alabama 
um, recently. But um, with a commitment coming up soon, we'll see what he does. Um, I think he's going to be committing on December 6th. We'll see where he goes in the next couple of weeks before his commitment. But Alabama is definitely um, strongly in the mix for Trey Smith. Um, again, it, it, it would be a little bit of a surprise if um, he did choose Alabama just because of the, the sister situation. But it wouldn't be a giant shot to see him uh, choose Alabama just because I, I know how much he loves the program. And then for Isaiah Wilson, um, it looked like Alabama this summer when Isaiah visited for the invite-only cookout back in July. Um, he, he spent three days here, and like you said, he's from Brooklyn, New York. There's an obvious uh, culture change from uh, Brooklyn to Tuscaloosa. I'm actually, I'm, I'm actually from New York City, so I, I can vouch for that. Um, but, yeah, uh, he, he loves Tuscaloosa, and um, at the time he told me that he could see himself playing for um, Alabama, specifically uh, Mario Cristobal, who he has a, a very close relationship with. But from our um, our Big Ten website, uh, Land of Ten, our Michigan writer um, has told me that uh, the Wolverines are very confident that uh, they're going to they're going to land Isaiah Wilson when he makes his choice. Um, it still seems like uh, the Under Armour game is a possibility for that commitment, or if he doesn't choose to commit then um, National Signing Day. But I think Alabama is definitely in the top two for Isaiah Wilson. But I would probably say there's a better chance of signing Trey Smith as of today. But, again, in recruiting, um, Isaiah Wilson can uh, name Alabama his leader once we hang up this phone call. That's just how it goes. But I think right now Alabama has a better chance at Trey Smith. And, Chris, the final question for you, and we really appreciate your time live from Honolulu, Hawaii. And this is Chris Kirchner of the SEC Country uh, for the AJC, and he covers the University of Alabama. I know you were in Antioch, California. You had a chance to speak mm-hmm. to a lot of people close to Najee Harris. Uh, expand for our listeners what the situation with Najee. It, it's once again kind of an Alabama-Michigan thing like Isaiah Wilson, but what you think right. in, your, in your mind after going on that trip is going to happen with Harris? Yeah, I think he's going to stick with his commitment. Um, this one would definitely surprise me if he um, ended up flipping um, to Michigan. I, I talked to over 10 people um, close to Najee, didn't speak to Najee himself. He's not one for interviews. Um, and me not being based on the West Coast, he doesn't really know me. Um, he only really talks to reporters that um, he's known and he can trust. And I fully respect that. But from talking to uh, over 10 people about Najee and those closest with him, um, it, it would really surprise me if he – uh, ended up anywhere other than Alabama. Um, his trainer actually told me that he's hoping that uh, Najee sticks with Alabama, and that's definitely uh, a comment that raised my eyebrows because after spending a few days in Antioch, I know how close that um, uh, Najee's trainer is to his recruitment. Uh, he's the one that's facilitating all these coaches really coming through um, Antioch and the gym he trains at, um, he's, he's pretty much grown into an Alabama fan. I'm talking about the trainer. Um, and then his mentor, um, Najee's mentor, also hopes that he sticks with Alabama too. Those are two very, 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 very important people in his recruitment. And they're both, and they're both saying that they hope he sticks with Alabama. 
and his mother, I had a chance to talk with her too. She she loves Alabama. She loves Tosh Lupoy, who's Najee's um, primary recruiter. She actually called him family. Um, so they're very close to Alabama. And the one thing that Alabama has going for it is the fact that um, the tide has been in his life for several years now. Uh, Tosh Lupoy was, uh, was told of um, Najee Harris when he was an eighth grader. Um, and Coach Lupoy is actually one of the first people to believe in Najee. Um, this was before Najee picked up his first offer. This was before he became the nation's number one recruit. Lupoy actually believed in him first, and that matters to um, not only Najee but the people around him because um, they very much respect uh, Tosh Lupoy, and I think that's another big reason why I can see him sticking with his commitment. And, again, I think it would be uh, a big surprise to me after spending several days there to see him um, in 2017 in a Walter Reeves jersey. And then the last comment, uh, just I know you've had a chance to see him at the opening. I still hear stories mm-hmm. about his performance. Uh, I guess, once again, for our listeners, and, and you've been able to see it with your own eyes, just how special of an athlete is Najee Harris? There are really no words to describe Najee. The, the one thing um, I can say is that I, I was at his playoff game um, last Friday, and his offensive line um, – you know, you want your offensive lineman um, to be bigger than you. And Najee's probably uh, probably the biggest player on his team. Um, that's the kind of line he's running behind, and he's still putting up 300-yard games, four touchdown games. And he's running behind an offensive line that's, to be honest, not good. And the opposing defenses have nine in the box, um, nine in the box, Sometimes they, they even put 10 in the box. You don't see that. And Najee still finds a way to break free with these long runs, these um, run you over, spin away from you, hurdle over you type of runs. He's a, a very special, very special prospect. Um, probably the best player I've seen in person, regardless of position. Uh, he, he's just incredible. Um, wherever he goes, um, I, I think – He's going to be one of those kids we talk about in 20 years and think back on, like, remember that Najee Harris kid, what he did? Um, he, he's a really special kid, and um, he also has a very inspiring story. Um, it's going to be a very big story that I'm working on. Um, but, yeah, he's a very special kid on and off the field, and um, Alabama is definitely hoping um, he sticks. Well, Chris, that's a great way to end this conversation, and we appreciate you being so generous with your time with us uh, over in Honolulu, Hawaii. Uh, thank you. Uh, you do great work uh, for uh, the SEC country uh, at the AJC uh, and for covering the University of Alabama recruiting. Let everybody know about your Twitter feed and where they can read your stuff. And, again, everyone listening, please check out Chris Kirchner's work. It's absolutely outstanding, and we always appreciate your time tonight. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, Chris, C-H-R-I-S, Kirshner, K-I-R-S-C-H-N-E-R. Uh, you can read my stories at seccountry.com. We also have an app on iTunes and Android, so make sure you guys download that. But um, thanks again, Drew, for having me.
Absolutely, and thank you, and safe travels, and I'm envious uh, being in Honolulu, Hawaii. My parents have visited twice. I have never. I'm sure it's beautiful. Have a great time there, and uh, safe travels back to, to the state of Alabama. Look forward to seeing you soon, and uh, really appreciate the time. Mahalo. Thank you. That's Chris Kirchner, everyone, uh, from uh, the AJC's SEC country covering the University of Alabama. And speaking of beatdowns, the Louisville Cardinals are absolutely getting shellacked right now near the end of the first half. It is 31 to nothing as the soft Bobby Petrino Louisville Cardinals are getting beat down by Tom Herman, the future Texas coach likely now with this performance uh, and the University of Houston Cougars. What a performance uh, by Houston on national TV tonight. Uh, there's about less than two minutes to go. Houston trying to drive, or excuse me, uh, Louisville trying to drive against this Houston defense uh, to get some points on the board, but just been an all-around uh, performance in all three phases for Houston thus far as they completely have outclassed Louisville, and we'll see if they uh, can uh, keep it up the rest for four quarters, but it's looking bleak right now uh, for Lamar Jackson and the Cards. And we're going to go back to the Sunbelt 10's hotline uh, to a great friend of mine, he, much like myself, uh, has been uh, super excited about the future of Alabama basketball uh, because we both follow that sport uh, with as equal passion as we do Alabama football, and that is from Lexington, Kentucky, the one and only uh, Kevin Hagan. Kevin, always great uh, to have you on BAM's radio tonight. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing, Drew? I'm doing a little bit better than the Louisville Cardinals are. Yeah, absolutely. You, uh, you uh, being a guy in Lexington – uh, working for the University of Kentucky. That's the biggest rival for uh, the Big Blue Nation. I'm sure they're all enjoying watching Bobby Petrino look like someone kicked him where it hurt. Uh, and they are, they're they are trying to get on the board here as Lamar Jackson's uh, running up the, the middle of the field and he has him in field goal range. But, uh, wow, this I didn't expect this. I thought it would be a good football game. But Houston thus far has just taken it completely to Louisville. Yeah, I don't need it to be too much of a beatdown because I really want Louisville to humiliate Kentucky next week in Louisville. Oh. I'm counting on a Cardinal <laughs> beatdown of the Wildcats, so uh, I need I need Louisville to to leave the leave Houston with a little bit of confidence. Um, but that's going to happen because Bob Petrino absolutely hates the University of Kentucky. It's the reason he gets out of bed every day. So uh, they'll they'll come home angry. But uh, yeah, I'm excited about this Alabama basketball season. Um, it's a transition season. Uh, I, I'm a little concerned that I've heard some Alabama fans make crazy statements like this should be a Sweet 16 team, and I don't want oh, people no, to no, put no. pressure on this team. This, no, this, no, team, no, this no. is not a top 25 roster. It's not. It's no. a better team than last year. Uh, it's a team with an elite coach, and it's a team that I think, is, if they stay healthy, can grow oh. each year. Um, but we lost to a really strong Dayton team on uh, Wednesday, and I, I'm not for moral victories. Tuesday, but um, you know Dayton's, Dayton's an outstanding team, and we've got some other great teams coming up uh, on the schedule too. Um, a lot of our fans aren't familiar with BYU. BYU is going to be a tough team, as going to be Valparaiso next week. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I got to be honest with you, I, uh, I I was you know you know I've been able to cover um, the, the Alabama team in the exhibition game, and then uh, for Coastal Carolina, and of course I watched. Uh, much of the Dayton game besides the first couple of minutes uh, at a local restaurant here in Huntsville. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I think the ceiling for this team, and this is what I've said in my podcast and what I've told other people, is 22 to 23 wins and getting to the second game of the NCAA tournament. I think this can be Absolutely. an NCAA tournament team, but a Sweet 16 team, nah, I really don't see that. 
unless some, you know, dramatic improvement. And we saw dramatic improvement from the roster from the first game to the end of the season last year. It's going to have to happen again, and you're going to have to have some injury luck. But I, I'm not. I'm like you. I'm not ready to get all carried away and say Sweet 16. I mean, uh, there was people last year when Alabama uh, made the run in the toward the end of the season and put themselves in position for the NCAA tournament that said that going into this year. I've never believed that. Usually, when you start seeing the big time fruits of labor, and it was even that way with Mark Godfrey, is the third year of a program when you start turning the roster over to all your guys. But I agree. I love this coaching staff. You know John Pelfrey well from your your day. Your you know being at the University of Kentucky in Lexington, he's a big time addition. He's an upgrade as a recruiter, uh, as a, a a coach that can work with big men. And so in this team, I I really I love who he's brought in. He was responsible for Giddens. He was responsible for Bolo Olinyan, who I really liked thus far. The only thing that has disappointed me, and this is only two games, but I'm still not seeing enough out of Shannon Hale. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, it, Kevin. I know you watched the game the other night. You, you were uh, the other afternoon. You uh, you watched it from start to finish. I looked at the final stat sheet after watching the game, and I, I'll use an old, you know, phrase from my high school basketball coach: "A dead man could give me what you're giving me." But are we really I mean, surprised, Drew? No, I mean, I guess I not. Mean, I was hoping Shannon never that missed the light an opportunity to disappoint. I, you I mean, would you hope know. so in the senior year. You really, honestly, would hope so. Uh, but but he never fails to disappoint. It seems when he's needed the most. Um, I mean, over wow. four and two points with two free throws against Dayton. And you're going to need you need double figures out of him if you're going to beat a team as good as Dayton. And quite frankly, and I'll get your opinion on this, I'm shocked that Archie Miller is still there. I mean, it's a credit to Dayton and stepping up and taking care of him financially. But he's a talented coach. I think he's a Power Five coach. Uh, but of course, Dayton is one of the better mid-major jobs in college basketball, and can they, and he went to the Elite Eight two years ago. But uh, he is really one of the rising stars in coaching. Well, actually, he was my choice to be the Alabama coach. Now, well, yeah, keep in mind, I never dreamed. I can understand. I that. never dreamed that Avery Johnson would be our coach, and I will never forget when I got the phone call saying that Avery Johnson had agreed to be our coach. I hung up on somebody and made him call me back twice. <laughs> I refuse to believe that Avery Johnson was actually going to really be our basketball guy. Um, so don't take that to mean I wish he was. But he's an out, he's an outstanding coach, and Dayton's going to have a hard time keeping him. You're absolutely right. Um, uh, that's just a really strong team, and I, and I hope some of our fans don't roll their and say, oh, Dayton, people who follow college basketball on an outstanding program the Dayton Flyers are. Uh, and I love that Avery's put together a strong schedule because I think it's going to help us when we get to Southeastern Conference play. you got to throw Kentucky out, unfortunately. You know I can't stand them, but you got to throw Kentucky out because they're so talented. But I think this preseason schedule is going to really help us when it gets to be SEC time. And uh, I'll tell you down the stretch, Drew, and I think you'll agree with me, um, by the time we get to SEC time, Braxton Key is going to be one of the key leaders of this team. He's the best player on our oh, roster. They, well, I think he and Dazon Ingram. I, I do, I do he, like those Dazon two are going to be the people. Oh, I love Dazon. I mean, uh, I mean uh, the one that's kind of struggled early though, and he really he played well in the exhibition game, but he hasn't done anything as a shooter yet. Is Armand Davis? I still think he can be valuable. Uh, now he does need to work on his defense, but uh, you know he he can shoot the basketball. He's just not been able to get it to drop. Hopefully he's going to get into an offensive rhythm soon. I still kind of like him coming off the bench and 
Uh, you know, uh, there, there's too many quick twitch reactions, though. Uh, I, you know, I had people telling me after the exhibition game, well, he'll beat out Corbin Collins. No, Corbin Collins is experienced. You, you saw what he did in the second half against Coastal. He played well, uh, you know, against Dayton. He will be the starter. But I just think Armand is going to be some instant offense, kind of an Alvin Lee type guy off the bench once he gets uh, his feet underneath him a little bit. Hopefully Nick King will start getting more comfortable. Uh, but overall, I still love the ceiling with this team. The only guy in the rotation I don't love so far, and I think his minutes are going to go down, and he's going to be a five-minute-a-game guy just to give someone a blow and be energetic, is the son of the coach. I just don't right now like like his game very much. He, he In my opinion, he's too offensive-oriented, which means what I mean by that is looking to shoot. I think he needs to know his role, run the team, don't turn it over, get it to the playmakers because uh, he's not really a playmaker himself. But I do think as the season unfolds, he's going to play less and less, and you're going to see the rotations tighten up. Uh, and, and, and then, you know, and it's, it's very intriguing. We talked about this, Kevin, uh, to start the show, uh, that Avery Johnson's even hinted that they might recruit a sixth guy in this class. To me, what that means, I know he's hurt right now and could even redshirt, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a guy like Brandon Austin could end up transferring or another young man or a you know Avery Junior can it doesn't have to be on scholarship, but it just when you have a, a much more talented roster, again playing time comes into effect. And as Avery Johnson has said, transfers are common. They're going to happen. They're eventually going to happen when Alabama has a very talented roster, which is going to start in his, in his third year, uh, and because they have a much more talent this year, but it's going to be very talented in year three, and that's just part of. Uh, being able to kind of manage your uh, your team, but again, it's a it's a good problem to have and one that's so stunning considering where Alabama basketball was just a year and a half ago. Oh, it's unbelievable where we've come. Um, just I mean, two seasons ago, let's be honest, it was painful to watch Alabama play basketball. Oh. I mean, Coleman to say that we were offensively uh, to say we were offensively challenged was an understatement. Um, there were there were times that I had to turn it off and watch my New York Rangers play hockey, uh, just because I and the Rangers were more likely to score uh, than Alabama basketball was. But I, I'm like you, I'm excited to see the rotation get to be more of an eight nine man rotation, um, and I think we're going to be to that point by by mid December. Um, I think the I think the coach's son uh, knows what his role is, uh, and I think that's. Uh, that's got to certainly come forward here really soon. I, I like Armand Davis. Um, I, I kind of don't like his shot under his chin. Uh, I worry about him getting right. that off uh, in conference games, but he's a really streaky shooter, and when he gets going, he can be really, really dangerous. Um, and Corbin Collins, I know he had a rough game in the in the exhibition game, but he, like you said, he's going to be steady Eddie. He's not going to panic. He's going to be good senior uh, leadership on the court for us. And, and, Let's be honest, last year's team was not a great roster, but when Dazon, when Ingram went down, it was a death sentence for that team last year. And just watching him in these two games, can you just imagine if we'd have had him last year? He may have been the difference to sneak us in. You never know. Uh, he was a huge, huge loss last year. And I think he's still getting his game legs under him, don't you, after being out last yeah. year? Yeah, I, he's good. I agree. All, you know, they're all getting comfortable, man. They're all – they're all in because we hadn't seen a lot of Dante Hall, at least on the offensive end yet. I think he'll produce more. I have been pleasantly surprised at Jimmy. Uh, I think he's looked more comfortable and, and looked more aggressive and, and, and looked to score. And it looks like Pelfrey has helped him because uh, oh, he yeah. hasn't received, you know, a lot of coaching. 
So he he's someone I know people are harsh on him sometimes, but you you gotta understand Jimmy had like three high school coaches and during his career and he wasn't coached very well. Anthony Grant and his staff did zero with him in two years and he's only been able to play for Avery for a couple. So I think he's shown marked improvement. I think he can be a very serviceable big man in the SEC. Just gotta hope he stays out of trouble and or excuse me, out of foul trouble and and uh, I think he can be a good player. But, uh, Kevin, uh, I know we're both excited about basketball, but we also wanted to speak with you because much like Chris Kirchner being the closest person to Tua Tagovailoa and calling us from Honolulu, Hawaii tonight on BAMS Radio. Yeah, what a rough know, assignment, huh? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought to myself the same thing. He goes to Antioch, California, then to San Francisco, California, and then to Hawaii. What a rough, uh, what a rough couple of weeks for Chris Kirchner. Uh, but anyway – uh, you, we know you're as close to the Jedrick Wills recruitment as anyone. You know his coach. You know the family. You know the young man. Uh, kind of talk about him and and, uh, and and him and finally going public with the University of Alabama. Well, I was extremely excited for Jedrick to have the opportunity to finally go public for the University of Alabama. Um, he, Alabama has been his school of choice since he came down in July on the visit. It was just when was he going to be allowed to uh, to go public? Um, Things our fans might like to know about Jedrick. He's only 17 years old, so he's young. Uh, would expect him to to certainly gra- uh, redshirt. Uh, extremely intelligent young man. His father told me, in fact, that he's going to be Coach Saban's first pre-med student to play football uh, for Coach Saban at any school he's coached. And uh, uh, the Alabama coaches wanted to make sure that he was going to be able to handle football and being a pre-med student, but they've signed off on that. So that tells you how intelligent of a young man that he is. He comes from a really strong family structure, plays for Lafayette High School here in Lexington, Kentucky. It's the best high school program right now in the Lexington area, and um, they're probably going to finish up as the runner-up in the state this year to Louisville Trinity, and Louisville Trinity is Kentucky's version of Hoover on steroids. Uh, Trinity's won like nine of the last 12 state championships in Kentucky. They played earlier this year, and Trinity beat them 45-7. to seven. So, Jedrick and them are probably going to be the state runner-up. But uh, And he did not choose Alabama over Kentucky. I don't know what the Kentucky fans are panicking about. Had the Alabama offer not worked out for him, uh, he would have gone to Michigan. That was his That was his backup school was Michigan. But from the time he visited Alabama in July, uh, it was all Alabama. And he just fell in love with Coach Key on his visit down there. That was key to him uh, in choosing the Crimson Tide. Well, and I know you, you said uh, if he's going to be a pre-med. He's very intelligent, which I think portends a bright future because of his, foot, because of his football IQ as well, because able to process information. Uh, I think he knows, uh, but the thing you have to respect is he's, I'm sure he's seen Alabama's depth chart. He knows they have a lot of talent there. Uh, he's going to have to compete, but it sounds like he's fully uh, invested, and he's going to go down there and, and do the best he can, but it, it sounds like he knows that a red shirt is, it may be in his future, but he's comfortable with that. Oh, absolutely. The family is completely understanding of that, and what Alabama fans need to remember, it's the same thing I said about Damian Harris when he came to Alabama two years ago. High school football in the state of Kentucky is a J-O-K-E, okay? So when we bring <laughs> players, elite players from there, they need a year. They need a year to get caught up with the kids that are playing high school football in metropolitan Atlanta and other places in the South. Jedrick's going to need the same thing that Damian Harris did. I really wish Damian could have redshirted his first year and he couldn't. Uh, Jedrick's going to be in the same boat, he, and he understands that. He understands, hey, I'm just 17. I'm just getting ready to turn 18. I'm a young man. I need to get bigger, stronger. 
they completely embraced that. As a matter of fact, they were not interested in any school, hint, hint, Kentucky, that wanted to try to get him on the field as a true freshman because they knew he was not physically ready to do that in the Southeastern Conference. So no, that's a, that was a huge selling point also for the University of Alabama with Jedrick. And this is a kid that we will have absolutely no worries about in misbehavior. He is a super, super individual from a wonderful family structure. Well, as we said, you were going to know best about this situation, and hopefully soon we'll be able to speak to his high school coach. We know Jedrick is – not really done a lot of interviews, uh, and we understand that uh, they wanted it to be a family-type uh, situation and handle it in that way, and they've done so, and now his decision is behind him. He will uh, – now, I guess the other question is, is Jedrick going to enroll early, uh, Kevin? That, they've not heard definitively on that. I, they're certainly open to that. If if that is what Alabama wants him to do, he's certainly got the grades to do that. So that call will right. will come from the Malmore building, and they're completely open to whatever the coaches want Jedrick to do. Well, absolutely. And, and, just, and, uh, and Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, just like Damian Harris, it really impressed me going to his games and going to Damian's commitment. You know, oftentimes you can tell by how these players are liked, by how the student body treats them. Jedrick is the most popular kid at Lafayette High School. They say he treats everybody equal. He just has the respect of everybody at the school, whether they're on the football team or they're not on the football team. The principal, everyone says he's a role model in the classroom, everywhere. And it's it's just great to see a young man with that kind of class. And let me tell you, why the Kentucky fans are hating on the principal, the people at Lafayette, they are so proud, as his coach said, why would anybody not want to play football for the University of Alabama? So the people in the Lafayette football program are so honored to be able to say that their star player is going to be a part of the most prestigious program in the history of college football. They're really proud of that. Oh, well, and then we, we, I think Alabama's proud to have Jedrick Wills. He's an outstanding prospect who really earned his offer at camp. People need to understand that as well. Uh, Coach Key and Coach Dave, and that's when they started making the push for him when he came to the University of Alabama and performed in front of the coaching staff and performed very well. He also, of course, went to Beaverton, Oregon. Uh, he was part of this, uh, the uh, opening. So he's a very good prospect, uh, the best prospect in Kentucky, and uh, for the second time in three years, the number one prospect in that state headed to the University of Alabama. Well, Kevin, thank you, sir, uh, for calling in and uh, updating us on Jedrick and giving us some of your thoughts on basketball uh, you know, we, we really – I'm really excited. To, you know, they face Ball State tomorrow night. It's a chance to bounce back uh, from uh, that performance uh, against uh, Dayton. But as, we, as we've talked to you and I, uh, you know, uh, via uh, other social media, uh, this is – you have to understand, just a year ago, this is a team – and this was with Dayton Ingram healthy – lost by 32 points at Dayton. It really wasn't that close. So to take Dayton down to the last minute and a half minute of this ball game in Coleman Coliseum, significant progress in a year. Oh, Alabama fans don't need to worry about the state of our program. If they have any doubts about the future of the Alabama football, basketball program, all they need to do is remind themselves that the elite players in this class chose to choose Avery Johnson in Alabama. Colin Sexton and John Petty chose to come to Alabama over Blue Bloods, Kansas, and Kentucky. That's all you need to know about what the elite high school players in America think about the future of the Alabama basketball program. 
Yeah, and I, and I got to tell you, Kevin, uh, having spoken to Cecil Hurt uh, at the John Petty announcement last Thursday, he has talked to John Pelfrey uh, and, uh, and 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 Antoine Petway. They believe uh, that uh, that Herb Jones could be the best player in the class for four to five years down the road. So that ought to tell you how good the talent level is and uh, the upside to Herb Jones, who they really like a lot. Uh, and who they're, they are, they definitely uh, are glad they took in this class. Uh, he, he and he's he's another one like Jedrick. I don't know if you knew this. He's a four O student at Hale County High School and has never made a B. That's what I heard. He's my favorite of the class. Nothing against any of the five, but I've adopted him as my favorite just from what I've heard about him as a young man and getting to stay home and everything. He's I've adopted him as my favorite of the Fab Five. And I'll tell you this: I think the diamond in the rough too. I think I think we're going to look back and say, wow, we lucked out getting Galen Smith because I have a feeling he is really going to blossom as he matures into an outstanding player. And that's nothing against Alex Reese. Um, I think all five of them are great. But but in the end, uh, yeah, it, it could be the other, the, the quote, quote, other two who really end up being real stars in this class. Absolutely. Yeah, and let me tell you this, yeah. the people up here, yeah. the people in Lexington are now all acknowledging we have a problem in Tuscaloosa, and his name is Avery Johnson. They have now all figured out that he is going to sign elite talent. They know he's an elite coach. Yes, there is now concern in the bluegrass about the Alabama basketball program moving forward. Well, then that's great to hear. And uh, everybody's been wanting this program to be reinvigorated, and it looks like it is by Avery Johnson and his staff. Well, we're going to end this two-hour uh, marathon known as BAMS Radio, but it's uh, been a quick two hours, and it's like that when you're having fun. Thank you, Kevin, for joining us tonight. I want to thank Thomas Watts for all he's done producing and uh, co-hosting with us. We want to thank William Redfish Barger, our uh, third cohort in this uh, uh, this uh, this uh, yeah, great program we have here at BAMS Radio. And we want to thank Sunbelt Tents for sponsoring our hotline and Chris Kirshner. What an outstanding conversation, talking some Tide recruiting. Uh, everyone, I hope you uh, enjoyed listening live, and we'll also have the podcast up hopefully later tonight or in the morning. But really enjoyed BAM's radio tonight. Glad to be back on with you after a couple weeks sabbatical. Everyone have a happy Thanksgiving and enjoy the time with your family. And we'll be coming to you again soon, probably in a couple of weeks, as we look to the SEC championship game and the Tide looking to move on into the college football playoff. Everyone, roll tight and have a great night. This has been BAM's Radio. I'm your host, Rudy Armand, with Thomas the Wizard Watts.